from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Happy to be here with you every single Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. That is Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time all throughout the week. So thank you so much for tuning into the show, being a part of the broadcast. I really thank you so much for that and your connection to the show truly means a lot. So shout out to you this morning and every single morning that you're joining me here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. And a shout out to all of you that go on to wakeupcalldt.com and listen there as well as download the RSS feed, the iTunes podcast, and the app itself on Podbean where it's powered by Podbean. So thank you to everybody that's not only listening to the live show, but going back and listening to all of the other shows as well. I truly appreciate everything that you have done. So thank you for those of you that listen live and for those of you that go back and listen to the broadcasts that are in the archive. There's almost 800 broadcasts currently in our archive. So for you to go back and have something to listen to, you have plenty, plenty to go to. So thank you to everybody that has. I truly appreciate it, and I thank you for your connection with Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. In today's broadcast, Inside of the Morning Menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA, it is my pleasure to be bringing to you, first and foremost, talk on Syracuse's victory over the Yukon Huskies. We'll discuss that win because I had some thoughts going into the game about Syracuse in this matchup so we'll talk about that coming up shortly in just a moment or two we're going to be discussing Syracuse and UConn what the win meant to me what it says about the orange what I thought going in and saw coming out and then at 9 30 a.m eastern time I will be joined by Cordell Hudson Cordell Hudson who I've known for at least four years now if not longer I followed him through his recruitment he wasn't coming to Syracuse then he ended up coming to Syracuse and now he is leaving Syracuse for his final season of eligibility. Him and I will have a very, very, very pertinent and important and, and, and for any Syracuse fan, as well as you know anybody out there trying to find the right fit, we have a discussion that you don't want to miss. It's Dino Babers. It's Scott Schaefer. It's making the right decision. It's do you have regrets. There's so many things that come up in this conversation that you don't want to miss a moment of it. That's going to be airing at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, and I'm very excited for that. And then at 10 a.m. this morning, I have waited a long time to be able to bring this to you. I am eager. I am excited. I am all things great, knowing that this morning I will finally be able to bring to you a one-on-one extensive conversation with Nate Hackett. This isn't a couple questions here, there, and, and whatever. This is a very, this is a sit down and a very extensive conversation with Nate Hackett, who used to be the offensive coordinator for Syracuse 
and then went on to the Buffalo Bills with Doug Marone and is now with the Jacksonville Jaguars with Doug Marone there as well. So Nate Hackett and I are going to be having a conversation on so many different things. I'm very, very excited about what's coming up. We will speak on Tom Coughlin's effect on the Jaguars. We will speak on Doug Marone's loyalty to Nate Hackett. We'll discuss the offense that they created in Syracuse and what type of offenses they were looking at in the NFL to create this offense that they had. So who did they pick from to put together this piece? And on top of all of that, we will also discuss you know, his longevity, what he's done, Blake Bortles, Leonard Fournette, everything. There's so much coming up, and I absolutely positively cannot wait for the opportunity to bring that to you. And that's going to happen very shortly here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora around 10 a.m. Eastern Time this morning and I again I cannot I cannot cannot wait for this opportunity to truly bring something to you that that I've been wanting to do for a long time so I'm very excited about this and I can't wait to be able to do that and we're also going to make another announcement on the CNY pop festival this morning if you're on Facebook Twitter or Instagram Facebook at wake up call DT Twitter at call DT and Instagram at wakeupcall underscore DT. Go on any of those, like, follow, do all that good stuff, and at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, I will be announcing the next Syracuse icon that will be joining me for the CNY Pop Festival and essentially joining you because you're going to be able to buy tickets shortly so that you can let everybody know that you're coming to this event and be really excited about it. So at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, I will be announcing the next Syracuse icon to join the CNY Pop Festival, which will happen in August of 2018, Sunday, August 12th of 2018. So a lot coming up on today's show. Ecstatic about that. I, I really honestly, I, I, this morning as a broadcaster, Believe it or not, I'm struggling to find the words because Cordell Hudson and I have, I mean, we spoke about Syracuse. We spoke about different schools and his recruitment outside of Syracuse. And I remember sitting in the airport in Detroit and he was on, him and I were on the phone talking and he was coming to Syracuse. And I said to him, I was like, I didn't think that this was going to happen. He said, neither did I. And then he's at Syracuse. We do some interviews here. And now he's opened up his recruitment for his final season of eligibility, and he wants to get his graduate degree, and he's going to be on the show today. And it's it's such a great conversation. He doesn't hide anything. He just speaks. He speaks the truth, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate the opportunity that players and coaches give me to, to tell the truth and to share the truth and to not kind of beat around the bush. And then outside of that, I'm, I'm very, very, very honored that Nate Hackett took some time with me. This is an extensive conversation. This is like a sit down, grab some popcorn, you know, get something to drink, hang out. If you're in Starbucks, you're going to have to chill there with your latte for a little while. If you're in the car, you're going to have to be in that commute. And if you end up parking at work, you're going to have to be late or you're just going to have to put the buds in your ears and walk into the office with it still playing. The Nate Hackett conversation is is awesome, and I cannot, cannot, cannot wait to share it with you. So, with all that being said, before we get there, we must go here, and that is Syracuse up against UConn. This is a huge rivalry with the Syracuse Orange, 
and the UConn Huskies. And I know to some people it's not what it used to be because Syracuse is in the ACC and UConn is in the AAC and yada, yada, yada. But listen, this is still a rivalry to me. This is still two teams that never want to see the other team defeat them. This is a rivalry that is is real. It's etched in history. It's not going anywhere. I'm not going to let it go anywhere. I don't know about you, but I can't. I can't let this thing go anywhere. So for me, this matchup should happen every single year, always and forever, because Syracuse-UConn is a staple of college basketball. It's not just a staple of what the Big East used to be. It's reality for, for those of us that loved the old Big East, for those of us that appreciated everything that was the Big East. How can you not be excited about a game like this? How can this be a game that, that you wouldn't follow and wouldn't appreciate and, and this, that, and the other? I mean, to me, this this game is huge. And, and this game, every single year, is it, it should be. It should be on the docket. It should be on the menu. When Syracuse plays UConn, like they said, they had, they had pretty much a sellout crowd in Madison Square Garden for the game. And I'm not surprised by any stretch of the imagination because this rivalry is forever in the history of college basketball. And to take that away from the fans is to take away from us something nostalgic, something that we love and that we appreciate. So I want to thank, first and foremost, UConn and Syracuse for saying that they wanted to keep this thing going because UConn's going to play a tough schedule inside of the AAC. And for those of you that don't think the AAC is tough, look at what SMU has done recently. Look at teams like, obviously, UConn, and they just added Wichita State, and Wichita State's no joke. So make sure that you're paying close attention to the American Athletic Conference, which I proudly cover very closely throughout the year. So I'm excited about what I'm going to see there. And I love the fact that UConn and Wichita State, that they're now rivals inside of the same conference. That's just really cool to look at. So very excited about what's coming up. With that, in this game that Syracuse played against UConn, it was very different from last year. Last year sucked, okay? Let's call it what it is. Last year was embarrassing. It was abysmal. It was stupid. It was literally, it was two teams that had terrible offenses at the time of the game just trying to beat it. I mean, they were beating the hell out out of themselves, and then it was just, who's going to win this 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 just really bad game? I mean, that's what it came down to. Who's going to win this ugly game of two ugly offenses that have little to nothing to offer to us? And UConn won the game, 52-50. to 50. It, was, it was an awful game. It was by far one of the grossest games I've ever watched in college basketball. 52-50. to 50. It was so bad. And then this year... I was hoping that it would be better. Now, let me say what I was thinking going into it because that makes, you know, coming out of it, it made sense in this game. I said, listen, Syracuse, before the Maryland game, I said, we're going to know who Syracuse is, where they're at when they, you know, when they come out of the Maryland game. I thought it was two teams that were going to play pretty even, speaking on Syracuse and Maryland. And that whoever came out of this game was a little bit above average. And it showed where the teams were at because I think Maryland can make the tournament. I think Syracuse can make the tournament. So, and I'm talking about the NCAA tournament. So coming out of that matchup, whoever won that game, to me, had some momentum. Whoever won that game, to me, 
had shown that that they're a little bit above. And Syracuse won. They won 72 to 70. They beat a guy who was seven for nine from three point range and Kevin Herter. And then they go into the game of Kansas. And I thought, yeah, Syracuse has an opportunity to win this game. It's not going to be easy. But it's not that Syracuse is completely out of this game. And they lost by 16, but hear me out. It wasn't a bad loss. They played for the second week in a row a shooter who made seven three-pointers. And that's a very tough thing to beat once, let alone twice. They did it against Kevin Herter and Maryland by beating him by two. Against Kansas, they lose by 16 when Devontae Graham goes 7 of 13 from long range. It is not an easy thing to beat. Now, take away Devontae Graham from distance. Take it away. Syracuse wins by 5. Just taking away the threes. Not the overall points, just the threes. Syracuse wins by 5. So a lot of that was Devontae Graham. And credit to him. And sometimes it's Tyus Battle. I'm not saying... You know, Kansas isn't anything without Devontae Graham. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that when teams get hot against the 2-3 zone, and this is my argument about why the 2-3 zone should shift into other things at times, is because when you play teams that get hot from distance, look at how Syracuse plays. They beat Maryland by 2. They lose to Kansas by 16. You cannot live and die by the 2-3 zone. And Bayheim said something, and I will never forget it, and he said it when Tyler Ennis was there. He said... The 2-3 zone will work in all but like three or four games. He said three or four games this season, we might lose with the 2-3 zone, but any other time, the 2-3 zone is relevant. And my rebuttal was, what if those three or four games are in the NCAA tournament? What if they're in the ACC tournament? If you're okay saying the 2-3 zone's not going to work against three or four teams this year that shoot really well from three, what if that's the ACC ACC tournament, which Syracuse has never won a game in, mind you? Never. Never won a game in. They self-sanctioned themselves in one of the years, but they haven't won a game in any of the other ones. No matter where it was, Greensboro or Brooklyn. So... What if it's in the ACC tournament? What if it's in the NCAA tournament? Think about how many championships Syracuse potentially could have won if they adjusted to Ohio State, if they adjusted to Michigan. Just think. Just humor me. I'm not saying Jim Jimmy B is a bad coach. I'm not saying he doesn't have over 1,000 wins, and I'm not saying that he has more wins than I have. But that's not a fair argument. I chose to be a broadcaster. He chose to be a coach. So when he says... You know, when, when he's upset about somebody asking a question and he says, well, how many wins do you have in college basketball? That's not fair. That's not fair. We're in two totally different professions. How many broadcasts do you have in the media? How many people have you interviewed? I mean, I can ask those questions back. I've interviewed over a thousand people. He has over a thousand wins. We've both hit a thousand. I did it in 14 years. He did it in 40 plus. So does that make me better? No, we're different professions. And I respect JB. I like JB. I, contrary to the belief of a bunch of people, their views of Jim Beheim, I have had very good conversations with him. I've had one-on-one conversations uninterrupted by anybody in his office just sitting. 
And I value those greatly because, you know, he was respectful to me. We just sat and talked. We had conversations. It was good. I appreciated it. So what it comes down to for me is knowing that those three or four games, for argument's sake, whether it's Jim Beheim or Coach K or Roy Williams or anybody, why lose games? Because you don't want to adjust. Why give up a game here and there because you don't want to admit that it doesn't work against this team? And they played two teams back-to-back who were hot. If this was the tournament, Syracuse would be out of the tournament. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying that you have to adjust. Now, going off of my theory that I thought Syracuse and Maryland would play close and whoever won that game would be a little bit above average, and that could help out. And then Syracuse goes and plays Kansas, and I'm not surprised that they lost. However... I said it wasn't a bad loss to Kansas, and it was a good win against Maryland, which should give them momentum to show them that they're better than UConn. And it did. To me, it did. To me, they did it. So everything that I was thinking, theorizing in my brain, it's worked out so far for the Orange, and I'm happy that it has. Syracuse took the lead in this game and did not give it up by any stretch of the imagination. They took the lead back they had the lead in the beginning two to nothing off of O'Shea Brissett's layup with 24 seconds off the clock to start the first half then Terry Larriere made made a three-pointer to make it three to two Syracuse with Matthew Moyer's layup with exactly 18 minutes took the lead they never gave it back so they had the lead for 38 of the 50 minutes played 38 of the 50 minutes played they had the lead just think about that 38, oh, pardon me, 38 of the 40. My head's in another place. 38 of 40 minutes, they had it. So all but two minutes where they did have it for a little while. They had it for the first 24 seconds. But for the final 38 of the 40 minutes, they had the lead in this game and never gave it up. And they they were up by double digits the majority of the game. They were up by 11 at halftime. And even though Connecticut fought back to within seven or within nine or within eight, Syracuse always had an answer. It took them some time. They went a few minutes without a field goal in the second half, but they eventually would answer the call and shut this thing down. Syracuse having the lead for the final 38 minutes of the game. It's insane. Totally different Syracuse look from the team last year. It was 52 to 50. And the funny thing about this is, when I tell you, besides Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett, rookie, Pascal Chukwu, didn't play in a lot of games, Mark Dolezal, rookie, Brahma Sidibe, rookie, Matthew Moyer, redshirt freshman, so he's a rookie. When I read off all those names to you, did you think that they would be better than Andrew White the third, Tyler Lydon, Tyus Battle last year, John Gellin the third, Torian Thompson, Daywan Coleman, Tyler Roberson. The answer would probably be no. But that team put together 50, to, 50 points in a loss to UConn in one of the worst offensive showcases I've ever seen by Syracuse in history. And then this year, with freshman, 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 redshirt freshman, they get the job done. And Frank Howard 
man's been going to work. People have been keying in on Frank Howard. People have been trying to defend and silence Frank Howard. Frank Howard. How well this team is playing. And shout out to Matthew Moyer, who had 17 points in seven games combined going into this game. He had 18 points in this game. He outscored himself in one game versus seven combined up against UConn. O'Shea Brissett got his fourth double-double in eight games. Again, 50% of the time, he has a double-double. Tyus Battle, 22 points, getting plus 20 again. Frank Howard was quiet in this game, offensively. But he had five assists, he had two steals. His issue, and this is massive, okay? He played in 39 minutes. This is massive. And you can't do this against other teams. And I am not fudging the stats here, and I never would. I'm going to tell you something that you're probably not going to believe, okay? Syracuse had 15 turnovers in the game. Frank Howard had nine of those. The rest of the team had six. The other seven players combined for six turnovers. It's less than one a person. Frank Howard had nine turnovers. There are teams that play games that end the game with nine turnovers. Nine. The whole team. 14 guys, 12 guys, 11 guys, whatever. Nine. Frank Howard had nine by himself. Nine. That's atrocious. UConn had 17 as a team, which means that if Frank was on UConn, he'd still have more than half. That is egregious. It is way too many. Way too many. You got to thank Matthew Moyer for this game. Because Tyus Battle does what Tyus Battle does. O'Shea Brissett does what he's been doing. Frank Howard got quiet offensively. Mark Dolezal didn't do much of anything. Barama Sidibe didn't do much of anything offensively. It was Matty Moyer who scored those 18 points. Now take those away from Syracuse. And instead of winning by nine, they lose by nine. Matthew Moyer came up huge in this game. And can we just admit the fact of something that I wrote during the game, that this man has not only really awesome dunks, but they happen at the best times in the games? They honestly, they happen at the best times. He has these signature dunks that he throws down at the most opportune times in gameplay. Matty Moyers, he's the VI, he, I mean, he's hes the guy. He's the MVP of this game. And Syracuse is going to have different MVPs at different times, but how about this? Syracuse is 7-1. and one. Syracuse is 7-1, and one, and in a tough test of Maryland, Kansas, and UConn, they won two out of three of those games. So right now, this is a team going to the NCAA tournament. Now, after going 2-1 and one in these tough tests, with two of them being away from home, they have Colgate, Buffalo, St. Bonnie's, and Eastern Michigan at home before they start the ACC. And they are at Georgetown on December 16th. So just hear me out. Syracuse, right now, they keep doing what they're doing. You anticipate Colgate, Buffalo... Eastern Michigan victories, okay? So let's call that 10-1. and one. You anticipate, okay? I'm not trying to say guarantee. You anticipate 
That's why they're on the schedule. St. Bonnie's, they played they played tough. Let's say Syracuse guts it out, though. 11-1. and one. Okay? And we look at Georgetown. G-Town right now is 6-0. G-Town's played some teams that you might not know have schools. But, so they haven't been tested yet. They're not going to be tested before they play Syracuse. That's their first test of the season. So let's say Syracuse grabs that one. It's 12-1. and one. It's 12-1, and one, mind you. Let me just make sure I did my math right. So 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 1 before they go into the ACC. 12 and 1. They got to get 8 wins in the ACC to get to 20. That's good shape. Syracuse ran this gamut better than they ran gamuts last year. I'll tell you that much. Maryland, Kansas, UConn. People probably were like, loss, loss, loss. 2 and 1. I thought that they could beat Maryland. And I thought by the way that they played Maryland... And even the way that they played against Kansas, despite the loss, that they could beat UConn. So they've done what I thought that they would do in those games. But it all stemmed from how they responded to Maryland. And their response to Maryland was huge. So for those of you out there that in the middle of football season say, when's basketball season? Look at what's happening in basketball season right now. How excited are you about this team? Please don't underestimate what this Syracuse team can do. I'm not saying that they're perfection. They're not perfection. But are they good? Yeah. Do they have something to offer? Absolutely. So I hope that you are buying tickets to these games, and I hope that you're going to come hang out with us this weekend. Because Syracuse is playing Colgate at 2 which means we're pre-gaming at least in Staggerwald five minutes from the from from the Carrier Dome at noon. So noon this Saturday, you're busy because you're coming and hanging out with me and Dale Shackelford. Noon, December 9th, Lee's in Staggerwald. Simply put, come and find us, come hang out with us. Lee's in Staggerwald in downtown Syracuse. If you need to know, where Lee's and Staggerwald is at, I am happy to tell you that you will find us right on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. It's literally five minutes from the Carrier Dome. 117 East Fayette Street. Get a seat. Grab some awesome pregame food. Get my pregame nachos because they're they're the, they're the, I mean, I would not make a bad food. Okay, I make stuff that I eat myself and that I think that you would like. Corned beef pastrami thrown into nachos. I love nachos. I love corned beef. I love pastrami. Throw it all together. It's a friggin' party in your mouth. It's so good that here at 9.32 in the morning, I want me some now that I've discussed it. So come hang out with us this Saturday, December 9th at noon, right before the game. We're going to go from noon to one, give you an hour to get up to the dome. Give me an hour to get up to the dome. So noon, Saturday, December 9th, Come out to Lee's and Staggerwall, grab the Wake Up Call pub nachos, get something to drink, and let's have a good time. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Because this team is 7-1 and one coming into their Colgate game. Better than most people thought. Better than I thought. So, I'm proud. Congratulations to Syracuse. We're going to take a step aside. We're going to stay with Syracuse, though, here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. After this fast break, I'm joined by Cordell Hudson. 
Cordell and I, who, like I said, have known each other for over four years now, and he is into the next chapter of his recruitment. His recruitment is open. He has an opportunity to go elsewhere. Him and Davon Ellison, defensive backs, deciding to leave Syracuse and go continue their college football career somewhere else. And Cordell told me there could be more. We will discuss in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvalanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DrysigLady.com, D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, Lady.com. With the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing, DrysigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, Command yourself to feel comfortable in Dreisig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DreisigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, lady.com. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513, or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name. So give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. The Market Diner prides itself on bringing the local community fresh ingredients that are better than going elsewhere. Open for breakfast, served all day, lunch and dinner with daily specials. The Market Diner is located at the Regional Market on Park Street, right across from Destiny, USA. For takeout, call 315-474-5247. The Market Diner. Local. Fresh. Better. 
Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Happy to have you here this morning inside of Wake Up Call on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. If you are not a member, you would be crazy to not become a member today. It's so easy. It's free. And all it does is connect you with the show in a big way. Only members can chat with me in the live chat room during the broadcast. And you'll be emailed every single time the show goes live. So you never miss a live show again. You always know what's going on. And when we do impromptu shows outside of our normal schedule of 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, you'll be the first to know. You'll be the first to be able to listen in. So I implore you to become a member. If you have not become a member, I implore you to do it right now. Now, while you're listening into the broadcast here on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. At this point in the show, I am very elated, excited, happy, proud to bring to you Cordell Hudson telling his story. Cordell Hudson is a guy that I, as I said before, have gotten to know over the years, close with over the years. Respect the heck out of the kid. I'm happy for the kid. I'm excited for the kid because he is moving forward in his career and he's going to have an opportunity to play football elsewhere and he can play inside. We're, I'm going to let him talk about it, but he doesn't have to leave the Atlantic Coast Conference per se. And so I'm excited about the opportunities that he has coming forward for him. So with that being said, I'm proud to welcome him into the broadcast and let him tell his story. Cordell, how you doing this morning? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, and, and I'm having some deja vu, Cordell, because you and I have been discussing your recruitment. Like you said, uh, we discussed your recruitment about four years ago, and here we are discussing your recruitment again. And, you know, I, I think but way back when, I didn't think you were going to Syracuse. You didn't think you were going to Syracuse. Then you came to Syracuse. Now you're going somewhere else. Uh, it, it's been an interesting ride from the first time we spoke, and you know, just what you yeah. could say about going back to those days. Um, you mean like my recruitment days or my days at Syracuse? Going back to the recruitment of it all and just kind of, you know, because I got to share a lot of that ebb and flow with you of, you no, know, it's not Syracuse, maybe it's going to be Syracuse. So, you know, yeah. we got to share a lot of that time together, just what you took away from it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like like I told you before, um, when Syracuse first came to, to my hospital and offered me, I wasn't really even like – considering Syracuse only because I've never even really heard of Syracuse like that. I mean, I guess I might have heard of, like, the basketball team because, you know, I mean, it's a great basketball school. So when they first offered me, they weren't even – like, I wasn't even thinking about them. Um, not until my mom had me, like, sit down and, you know, actually do research and, and look at each school that offered me and, and look at the teams and, and also look at the, the academic side of the school because, as we both know, Syracuse is a great um, university. So um, that definitely played a role into me coming here. And and I'm actually I'm glad I made the decision I made, man. These past three and a half, almost four years, is, have made me and molded me into who I am right now. And, and honestly, looking back on it, I've grown so much. Like, athletically, I've grown. Mentally, I've grown. Like, the experiences I've, I went through here at Houston, you know, it just made me to a better man. And so I'm glad I'm, I made it to you and I made No, just my, my time at Syracuse is running score, so it's time to move on to the next chapter. And, you know, when you when you say that, when you say, listen, I have no regrets, I, 
you know, I'm happy that I came here. I learned a lot from being here. What have your takeaways been? Because, you know, as a freshman, you played in all 12 games. As a sophomore, uh, last last year in 2016, you played in nine games. You had five starts at corner. This year, people were saying, where's Cordell? So, I mean, what did you when, – when you take that and you spin it to a positive, how did you make that into a positive? What, what about Syracuse and the experience at Syracuse has been something positive for you? Well, I mean, first off, just the, the, the community and, and the people that make up Syracuse. There are great people up here and people that have supported me since the, the day I committed to Syracuse and stepped foot on, stepped foot on campus. Um, I've had many, like, mentors and people to guide me as soon as I, I came here and, and helped me, you know, navigate myself um, through this journey. And so that's, that's one of the positives that I've gained from this experience. Um, you know, like I said before, having Coach Schaefer bring me in, man, he's a he's an unbelievable man, great coach, and having him there to like to mentor me. Um, like I told you before, when we, uh, we did this interview when I first uh, admitted, Schaefer actually played a big role into me committing here. Um, I know a lot of times they tell you don't uh, commit to a coach, commit to a school. Um, he definitely probably played like 35% of uh, my commitment, man. He's, he's a great guy. Um, but, yeah, having him there to mentor me, to, to, to help me uh, uh, craft, better my craft, and uh, get the tools that I need, man. Also, uh, getting my degree. And that's probably top two my greatest accomplishments uh, so far in my life, man. And just being able to do that in, in three years was, was amazing. And, you know, I, I wouldn't take that back for anything. Speaking here with Cordell Hudson, Syracuse defensive back that is now moving forward and opening up his recruitment to start the next chapter. Like you said, we we spoke about this in the beginning, and and you know, like you just mentioned, they said you know don't commit to a coach, you know, commit to a school. But isn't that hard? I mean, you're a young kid, you're a teenager when you're deciding where you're going to be playing, and relationships and the emotions that you feel toward a coach, I mean, or coaching staff, it goes a long way. So when people say commit to the school, not to the coach, I mean, I, I would I would anticipate that's easier said than done. And, and for me personally, if I were you, I would find it very hard to not commit to a coach. Yeah, it's very hard because you don't want to – if you're having a coach recruit you and, you know, they're saying commit to a school and not the coach, well, I mean, what about, what about the schools, the great schools that have – not so great coaches, you know what I'm saying? Like, there there were plenty of schools that recruited me in high school that I, the coaches that recruited me, you know, I just, I wasn't really feeling them and their vibes. So, I mean, yeah, it, it might have been a great school. They might have had a, a upcoming, a great program, but I wouldn't want to put myself in a situation with someone I, I didn't think I would gel well with, you know, because you never know what might happen. So, it, having, having, a, having a good coach that you, um, that's at that university is definitely a plus. What can you say about Scott Schaefer? Because, you know, he was he recruited you. He brought you into Syracuse. I got to know him very well. He's always been a good man to me. It, when it has to do with football, when it doesn't have to do with football, he's always been good to me. So, you know, what did you take away from Scott Schaefer? You know, what can you say about your connection to him? Um, Just off the rip, like even my mom would say it, like when she – because my mom, oh, that was her thing. When the coaches came – for the home visits, she's very good at reading people and, and, and telling if they're genuine or if they're just trying to sell you their product. And, you know, Schaefer, he, he's a very genuine guy. 
and it's easy to pick up on it. Um, he's very personable. Um, I felt like he really cared about like the players, and and he was he was there to you know to to make us better and better players. That's one thing I really liked about him. Um, I, I you know it's a business, and a lot of the coaches. I know you're not supposed to mix uh, business with personal, but you know a lot of coaches are just they're strictly business, man. And sometimes it's hard to um, play for someone like that. And Schaefer wasn't that wasn't that kind of guy, you know. He was like I said before, he's very personable, and it, it just made it easier to to play for him and to connect with him. And there, there's a lot of coaches out out there like that. You just gotta find them. When Syracuse parted ways with Scott. Bring me back to that moment for you, Cordell, because that was your coach. Uh, like you said, there's there's professional and there's personal, and people say don't mix it, but I'm a business owner, and the companies that I partner with that work with me, that I help promote and do events for and, and whatever, I become friends with these people because I see them every month, and I talk with them, and I care about their business, and I care about their families. So, you know, I, I do find the happy marriage between both because I think if you appreciate someone professionally, then personally you appreciate them as well or vice versa. So when Syracuse comes to the team and says, hey, we just let Scott go, bring me into how did the school let you know and what your reaction was in that moment? Um, I mean, to be honest, I kind of already knew before they even like let us know. Like, I mean, it was pretty much like common knowledge, I guess, around college football that he was like on the hot seat that season. So we knew going into that season that we didn't have a good season that there was a there was a chance of him, uh, you know, being let go. Um, to the moment where it actually happened, um, I, I can't remember what game it was. I, it's so long ago, but after it wasn't even the last game of the season, obviously. But uh, after that game, we were just like. And they they about to let our coach go. Um, I, I can't re- remember it. Like obviously, I had some some uh, sadness, but um, can't really remember my exact emotions. Because at the same time, you know, it was my first year in collegiate football. So by that time, I already you know understand uh, understood that it's it's a business and that nobody nobody has um, nobody's guaranteed to stay for long. So I mean, I kind of took it as you know it's. He had he had a um, a part of my life for a reason and and his his time is up right now so I mean I kind of took it for what it was and just kind of like I knew I had to get myself ready for the new coach staff and and just you know move on. Did Schaefer have an opportunity to to talk with you guys? I know he's an emotional person. I I know he's a, a very caring person. After his final game, I remember going outside and him and I used to talk outside of the dome and he came up to me after that we kind of just walked up to each other he gave me a hug and we said some things to each other and then and then right before he got into the car with his wife Missy he hugged me again he was getting emotional you could kind of tell he wanted to leave uh, because he was he was getting ready to cry and had kind of already started and I remember he whispered in my ear he said I love you and I said love you too coach that was, and that was, you know, that was my final interaction with him outside. Did he get a chance to talk with you guys? And, and what was that like? Because, you know, <laughs> it, when it comes to a school or an institution, they go from one coach to the other and there's no real conversation and, and the players don't really get to say much of anything. So 
you know, to go back to that moment, did he get to talk to you and, and what was the atmosphere like? Um, I, I, I can't really remember if, if he got to have a meeting with us after like the following day or if he, he talked to us like directly after the game. Um, Either way, I remember, you know, it being emotional because, I mean, the classes that were there during that year were classes that, you know, came in when he when he was um uh made, like, the head coach or when he was there as the D coordinator. So everybody there, you know, had that relationship with him. And, um, you know, it was, it was just a very emotional environment. And, and yeah. Speaking here with Cordell Hudson, a defensive back that is heading out of Syracuse for his final year of eligibility. Cordell, the the shift to a new head coach, the shift to Dino, there wasn't really any turnover when he came in. Everybody gave him a shot. Just what you could say about, you know, because there were times where, where coaches come in and 10 guys, 15, 20-some-odd guys, Doug Marone, when he came into Syracuse before Schaefer, there, I think there was 22 players that left. So, you know, just speak on giving Dino a chance and giving him an opportunity. I know that, you know, Cordy is, is obviously a huge part of this team and a huge part of the defense and a defensive back that's that's been back there with you for a while. And, you know, he immediately in finding out that Schaefer was getting fired, he's like, I'm gone. And then he decided to come back. So, you know, everybody pretty much gave Dino a shot. Just why you wanted to give Dino Babers a shot and, and just why that was important to you to not just jump ship at that point? Well, I mean, uh, one reason is <laughs> I wasn't going to leave anywhere until I had my degree. <laughs> that was one thing, you know. I'm not going to uh, give up something that, that's guaranteed that I can go and get if I work for it. I wasn't going to give up that opportunity. But to speak on giving Dino the opportunity, I mean, you can't, you can't just – judge a judge a book by by his cover so you know i had to had to give him a chance and i'm glad i gave him a chance so he's he's a great guy also he's a great offensive coach offensive minded coach and um he's a great motivational speaker from i'm pretty sure everybody's seen the videos and stuff um you know he's good at getting guys amped up and uh and ready to play um but yeah so he came in. I remember the first meeting we had with him, and um, it was it was very it was it was very different. Um, I don't know. It, he's definitely um, uh, how do I say this? I guess more assertive than uh, Schaefer was. I guess you could say. Um, but I liked I liked what I what I what I heard from him when we initially uh, had the team meeting. Um, I, I I liked the vision that he had and. And you know, I was I was I was willing to uh, to buy in and to to give it a shot. Um, no, I, I could say I wish things would have worked out differently than they did. But um, like I said earlier, everything happens for a reason. Everything is, is is a part of the plan, and you have to go through things that you know mold you and and give you experiences and, and make you a better person. So, like I said before, I'm I'm glad that I not only came to therapies but also stayed at therapies. Even when we have that coaching change, I'm glad that I gave Dino the opportunity to coach me and for me to um to have this this new uh, experience. What was it, you know, when you when you go through this and you say, you know, I I couldn't judge a book by its cover. I, I had to give Dino a shot. What ultimately do you think just didn't work out? Because 
some guys are on that too deep. Some guys are not. And like I said, you know, there is those questions from the fan base. Where's Cordell Hudson? Where's Davon Ellison? You know, another guy that, that is, you know, searching to go elsewhere. The, those questions come up of, you know, well, Cordell, you know, he's had an interception. He made this play. He did this last season. Oh, Davon filled in for this guy, and he did this, and why isn't he out there? So what would you say? I mean, what do you attribute to that? Because the fans want to know, and, you know, in conversation, fans will ask me and say, is he hurt? Is he suspended? Is he academically ineligible? Is he just not playing? What do you attribute to the fact that you just weren't utilized on a defense that, you know, obviously when you came to Syracuse, you hoped you'd, you would be out there for? What happened? Um. Well, one of the big reasons is actually I actually did go through some injuries after it was not this past season that just passed, but um, my after my red shirt, oh, what year was that? Red shirt sophomore year, so my junior year, I actually went through that season and I ended up uh, getting a sports hernia. So in the off season, I had surgery for that. So that's why I didn't um do uh most of the spring ball last year because I was a. Uh, Rehabbing and recovering from uh, the sports the sports training surgery, and then um, I went through all the uh, summer summer workouts and conditioning. I was feeling good, and my knee uh, was bothering me a little bit. So then I ended up getting like a knee arthroscopy or whatever it's called, and they like went in and like um, cleaned up like some cartilage in my knee. It was nothing like substantial wrong with my knee, but they just wanted to go in and like clean it up a little bit. And then, so I missed uh, most of camp, and then the first two or three games. And then, honestly, by, like, the fourth or fifth game, I was feeling good. I was feeling like I was ready to go. Um, Honestly, I feel like it was a lot of bad timing. Like I said, I felt like I was ready to go. I felt like I was good. And I felt like since I had already, you know, I played in a lot of games. I started a lot of games. I, I, I've done some good things on the field. And I, I felt like I should have uh, – been given an opportunity to, you know, uh, at least try to get back on the field. Um, you know, when people have different, uh, different, uh, what, what am I, what am I, where? I don't know. But people have different plans, I guess you could say. And I, I guess at the time, they felt like things were going good. They didn't want to, um, you know, mess up the, 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 the mojo at the moment and mix things up. Because at the time, I might have gone a lot of scoop. Bradshaw and Chris Frederick, man, they was balling, they was doing their thing. So I already knew, like, once I got back, I was like, all right, hey, man, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to get back out there because they're out there balling out and locking people up. So I knew I was going to have to work to try to get back out there and stuff. And, um, yeah, I was, I mean, I felt like I was, I was putting in the work. And I don't know, like I said before, I, I guess it was, like, bad timing or whatever. And, you know, I felt like they, they started to get um, – comfortable and more attached to those guys and you know with time and with injuries I was kind of just pushed back and just had to deal with that and you know with my last year coming up uh, uh I, I just felt like I needed a, a new start honestly I didn't really feel like I had any ties left to Syracuse like the coach I, that recruited me that I came in with he that coach staff they've been gone all the guys that I came in my class came in with after this year, everybody's going to be gone. I got my degree already. Just felt like it was time for a new start and, and, and to make something happen. 
So, you know, like you said, you know, the ties were gone. The opportunity was there for you to move forward. What do you take away from Dino? What did you learn from Dino that you could take with you, even though the situation didn't work out the way that you wanted it to? What do you take away from it? What did you learn from him? Um, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Um, I guess you, I guess it'd be better to ask me what I learned from uh, Coach Morose, the DBS coach. Um, because I I had a better um, relationship with him, spent most of my time with him. Um, you know, Coach Morose is a great guy. Um. He's another guy that kind of, you know, has that same um, personality and mojo as a uh, shaper. You know, they're, they're great personable guys, and I feel like they're guys that genuinely care. And, you know, Coach Monroe, he always made sure, man, that it, it didn't have to have anything to do with football, but he wanted us to, to do our best and to, to be our best and to, to be good men. Um, I remember in our in our meeting room, he had a, he had a poster in it, and it said, uh, treat all women like you would treat your mother or your sister and just things like that you know um were big just just knowing the, the kind of guy he was and he just always looked out for us he would he would he would call it uh pardon my french but he would call it wiping ass uh you know him just looking after us and making sure we were good he he always stayed on top of that and uh yeah so with, with uh monroe you know what I took away from him was, like I said before, life is, is going to give you limits, and he's got to make lemonade with it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So, Cordell, you know, in closing here, you have an opportunity. Your recruitment is open again. How do you go about it? Do you have interest already? You know, just kind of where you take things. And, and do you have any stipulations? Can you not – go to the ACC, other teams, can you not go to the Atlantic Division? Can Do you have to stay out of a certain – Is there number one, is there any restrictions on you? And number two, have you received interest from anybody? Um, to answer the first one, so when I initially uh, got my release, um, I wasn't allowed to contact anybody in the ACC or anyone on the schedule. Um, I pulled that and got them to limit it to anybody on the schedule. So as of right now, I can contact and um, get in touch with coaches from uh, the other side of the ACC as long as they're not on the schedule. I think North Carolina is for next year, so I can't uh, talk to them. But anybody else is, is fair game. Anybody else in the, in the, in the country is fair game. Um, to answer the second question, there's been a lot of schools like hit me up on social media, like either like, uh, following me or uh, direct messaging me, hit me up. Um, I don't really want to say too much right now because, uh, you know, things things are going to change. So right. I don't want to put any ideas out there that aren't uh, concrete yet. Is I was going to say, and I was going to say, you know, I, I, under, I understand you not want to put anything out there because it's your recruitment and you want to hear back from as many people and you don't want anybody to shy away from you. If you say a couple schools and be like, oh, okay, well, he's already set. I, I will ask this question. Is there is there any chance that we could see Cordell Hudson back in that southern state they call Florida? That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't know. 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 I don't know.
<laughs> hey, I think you already know the answer to that. <laughs> hey, if, I, if that opportunity, if that opportunity presents itself, I will definitely, you know, uh, do some research and investigate that. Because, um, you know, that's 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 a great opportunity to go back home for my last year. And uh, there, there's some some great coaches down there right now, man. And you know, to have opportunity to to play my last year for for a great coach and, you know, be able to pick up some things that, that are going to help me, uh, you know, uh, mold myself and better my craft for the next level, man, that would, that would be great. Um, also, you know, just being close to home and have my parents been able to, you know, uh, come to all my uh, home games that, that, for my last year, that would be great. But um, at the end of the day, man, I'm open to any school that's, you know, has a need for corner and I have an opportunity to come in and compete right now, to play right now because, this is my last year. I got to make some shake. I got to make something happen. So, hey, man, any school that needs corners right now, any school that's, you know, willing to help pay for my grad school, that's also a big thing. I want to get my master's degree. So if they're, they're going to help pay for my grad school, and I'm going to have an opportunity to come in and, and, and compete and play right now, and they're winning because <laughs> that's another thing, man. I want to win. Since I've been at Syracuse, I have not won. I want to be a winner again, man. I want to go to a bowl game. So those are those are big stipulations. Those are big things that um, that I have to check off with school. So I mean, obviously playing in Florida, playing back home would be great. But whoever I have the best opportunity to you know check off all those uh, checkpoints on my list, that's where I'm going to be headed. And you said that it, it, you it was anybody on anybody in the ACC and and anyone on the schedule next year. Now it's just the people on the schedule. So in the coastal division outside of, like you said, North Carolina, who's the rotator in Pittsburgh, who's every year, if Duke or Virginia or Georgia tech or Virginia tech or Miami, if any of those schools called you, that's fair game. That's fair game. Tell them I'll say, <laughs> fair enough there. And you said, you said something really quick here, Cordell. You said a big stipulation. You want to win. And the last couple seasons, well, actually three seasons in a row for Syracuse, <laughs> yeah, I mean, winning has not right because you know you had you had time when you redshirted. I mean, Syracuse has not been on the winning side of things. We're looking at a three and nine record in two thousand and fourteen. We're looking at four and eight in two thousand fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen. Yeah, so I mean, do you? What I mean, the frustration has to be there. There's there's thirty there's thirty eight bowl games, and then there's the college football playoff which has four teams within it so if you take 38 you multiply that by two and do the fun math it's 76 teams plus the four that's 80 of 130 teams are going to a bowl game and and you've never gotten to do it so you know i i would guess that that's a frustration that you don't have that extra thing because i know the fans are frustrated with a bowl game but as a player i can imagine that that's got to be very frustrating to know that 80 teams go and 50 teams don't and Syracuse while you've been there has been part of those 50. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's been hard. Um, I'm really, I don't think I've ever been on a losing team. Like I've been playing football since I was six and I've never been on a losing team since I came to Syracuse. And you know, that was hard to, to adjust to. And no, yeah, I'm, I'm just ready to win again. Ready to win again, Cordell Hudson, cornerback. He said, hit him up, give him a call, get in touch with him. We will be following Cordell throughout his next recruitment. So I was 
with Cordell when it wasn't Syracuse, with Cordell when it was Syracuse, with Cordell while at Syracuse, and now I'm with Cordell once again. Man, the only consistency that you've had over the last four years has been the fact that I've been in your corner, so hopefully that gives you some type of peace. <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate it very much, man, and I look forward to talking with you, and as things unfold, you know what show to come on, and I will welcome you anytime. All right, thank you, man. I appreciate it, Dan. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Hey, wake-up call listeners. This is Tom Taylor, owner of Sammy Malone's, located at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, overlooking the beautiful Seneca River. We proudly open our doors to you seven days a week, beginning at 11 a.m. daily, with free parking. Whether it's game day, after-work drinks, or a meal with family and friends, we are honored that you come visit us. Call 315-635-5407 for parties and catering. I'll see you at Sammy Malone's, home of the best sandwich in Beeville. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalware, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit, or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse, next to the Ponderosa Plaza, where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formalware. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. It would be a pity if you don't shop. For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your events, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. I want to thank Cordell Hudson for being a part of the show, and I want to give a shout-out to Cordell Hudson, who has joined the live MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT feed. So that is an amazing thing. We have a lot of people that have joined the show as members for free. I always tell you to do it because you could chat with me in the live chat room and only members can do that. And I tell you to do it because you have an opportunity to be emailed every single time the show goes live. So you'll never miss a broadcast again. And when a Syracuse player, former Syracuse player connects with the show, that means the world to me. So shout out to Cordell Hudson, who not only was just on the show speaking with you about his life and and what he's gone through and moving into this new chapter. 
but somebody who has been so supportive of my career as well. So it's one thing to support the careers of the kids. It's another thing to get that back, and it means a lot. So to Cordell Hudson for everything he's done and everything he plans to do, I give him an even bigger thank you for the support he's given me for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, WakeUpCallDT.com, and just overall <clears throat> for everything that he's done and the, the support that he's brought. It truly it goes beyond uh, anything that I could really sit here and, and say. It just it, it means a lot and it goes a long way. So, Cordell, I know you're listening, and I just wanted to say thank you. Coming up now in the broadcast, and, and I'm elated for this opportunity as well. This is a former Syracuse guy, and it's <laughs> Johnny is still mad about Detroit. We just got a message in here from Johnny. He said, I am furious about Detroit right now. Well, Johnny, you know, there's other people that are furious out there. They're called Buffalo Bills fans and Giants fans and trying to figure out why Tyrod Taylor gets sit on the be- gets sat on the bench and, and why Eli Manning, a two-time Super Bowl champion, gets sat on a bench. So there's a lot going on here right now, and, and, and hopefully things will get better for, for Johnny over here. <clears throat> As I know he is an avid, 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 avid Detroit Lions fan and Jim Caldwell is on his last leg in in Johnny's mind right now. So I understand the frustration and the sentiments, and I hope things get better for you, brother. I really, I really, really, really do. So first and foremost here, uh, before we go anywhere else, I want to preface this conversation with Nate Hackett by thanking the Jacksonville Jaguars for the opportunity to be on here. You know, it really does mean a lot that the Jacksonville Jaguars have provided the chance for me to speak with Nate Hackett. He's somebody who I've respected for a very, very long time. He's somebody that I knew when he was at Syracuse. We spoke during the Pinstripe Bowl. He moved forward and went on to the Buffalo Bills with Doug Marone and went from there to moving forward into we have a huge Detroit conversation going on right now. I gotta I gotta get to that in a second. But you know, to to everybody, I, I just want to say a big thank you. Uh, Nate Hackett Met him in Syracuse. He went on to Buffalo. Then he went to Jacksonville. This guy is working his tail off. He's doing a very good job. And I think he needs to be spoken about and appreciated for the work that he has done. And so I'm very happy that we have this extensive extensive one-on-one conversation coming up on the broadcast right now. You will hear this nowhere else. You have heard this nowhere else. This is a wake-up call exclusive. This conversation will be aired no place else and so it is with great pl- pride, tripping all over my tongue this morning, it is with great pride and appreciation and pleasure that I have the opportunity to welcome Nate Hackett to the broadcast and to be able to share this moment with him to speak on his time and what he's done and how he's grown. And there's so much that's going to be inside of this conversation right now. And the conversation is going to begin, first and foremost, with obviously, you know, welcoming in Nate Hackett. We're going to talk Tom Coughlin. We're going to talk Doug Marone. We're going to discuss the Jacksonville Jaguars this season. We're going to talk about how his offense in Syracuse did well with a with a big back, and now they got a big back in Jacksonville running the offense. What were the different teams that he pulled offensive schemes from and ideas from? His love of Star Wars and how he tries to interject that into his play calling 
into just everything that's been going on in his career. Doug Marone, his connection with Doug. So much is coming up in this conversation. I am so excited to bring this to you. I cannot thank him enough. And like I said, once again, a thanks to the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's a lot going on on the live feed right now for the NFL. So it's perfect timing. We're going to hear from Nate, and then I'll get to your thoughts. I know Ectocores and Johnny have been talking on here. So here is Nate Hackett. First and foremost, Nate, how you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Enjoying life. Now, looking at this record of, of where the Jaguars sit right now at 8-4 and four, and knowing that the, the Tennessee Titans are right there as well, that head-to-head matchup may play all the way into the final game of the season on New Year's Eve. Just what you can say about where the team is at right now and the fact that the division is still within reach and obviously the playoffs are as well. Uh, you know, it's really exciting. I, I, I think you, you try your hardest not to look at it because it's all about, you know, one week at a time, one opponent at a time. And each opponent you get is so different and so unique that, you know, you really just try to focus on each day. Um, it is exciting to be able to be in that position to play December football because that's what this whole thing's about. That's what you work so hard for is to have the ability to have meaningful games in December. And that's what we presented to the guys right when we got here. And they've done a nice job putting themselves in that position. But it's all about one day at a time and just concentrating on these Seattle Seahawks right now. And to look at your offense and what you've implemented, you and I have spoken about this before, is that when you were at Syracuse with Doug Marone, you would put together a bunch of different offenses that you had looked at in the NFL, some things that you thought were good from one offense to another and whatnot. What can you say about kind of strategically putting together this offensive scheme and how many teams did you look at, how many nuances? You know, Just bring me back to those beginner days where you and Doug were really sitting down trying to create something special at Syracuse. Yeah, you, you know, it's uh, this year especially. It's been a it's been a unique offense. Um, I think that one good thing that we did when we first made this whole thing up was we wanted to be flexible. And I think as a coach, that's so important to be able to adjust on the fly at all times. And I think um, this year is a great example of, of having a system that that we created that allows you to do that because we've had so many different things happen from just that first game when you know a Rob goes down to um, watching Leonard Fournette you know run the ball. The things from Tampa Bay, the, from the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets, to the New Orleans Saints. We just kind of combined all those things. And, you know, our whole goal was, like I said, was to build a system that you can be flexible in. So you can be dynamic and you can be different and really adjust it to what the players do good and what the quarterback starts doing good. And I think that, you know, as this system develops and as these players develop, because I think, you know, we have to sit back and even though we're, you know, doing well on offense, at, you know, at times, and, and we're, we're pretty high up there in the rankings and stuff like that, I, you know, it's still such a young offense, and we haven't even really, you know, gotten to our peak, you know, with rookie receivers out there, and they're still trying to figure it out, learn it. So, I mean, it, it's exciting, but, but, but the whole idea is to be flexible, be able to change it, be able to do as many different things as possible, and be able to adjust to your guys. And Nate, when you look at this offense of putting it together with Doug Marone at Syracuse and bringing it to the Buffalo Bills and now having it with the Jacksonville Jaguars, how much of it has has changed over time? Does it still look relatively similar? Are there a lot of parallels? Or did it start simple and kind of become an octopus, so to speak? (laughs) 
I would say, you know, when you look at day one install, I think it's very simple. And then, you know, you always try to build that foundation. You, you want the guys, the players to have a foundation of what we want to do. And then you, you add those little adjustments here and there to, to spice it up or to allow some guy to excel. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I would say it's pretty much the same thing. I think that, you know, even when, uh, it was funny when, you know, we had Ryan Nassib for a short period here and, you know, it was funny because he looked at it and, you know, he's like, oh, it's all the same stuff. So I think that, you know, you, you just, the idea is to have a foundation. You want everybody to have something they believe in. You want them to have rules. And you always want to stick by your rules so that when it gets crazy out on that field, when things go crazy, because no matter how hard you prepare, a defense is always going to present something that you've never seen before. I mean, heck, we've seen 10-man boxes this year. And you have to be able to adjust and you have to be able to talk about that and know within your rules what you can do and what you can't do. And um, so I think that, that really the foundation is very much the same. I think um, the adjustments, I think those are always fluid. I think, you know, like I said, as a coach, you never stop learning. You never stop trying to find ideas, but you still want to do them within the realm of what you're trying to accomplish and what, you're, what the foundation of your system is. You brought up Ryan Nassib. He was with you at Syracuse. He was with you for a very short time in Jacksonville. Just to speak on the decision of bringing him in and why ultimately keeping him there was something that didn't work for the team. Uh, you know, in the middle of the season, a lot of those things, I, you know, I don't get to make those decisions or, or talk about those. Um, I, I think that was something that the organization, you know, wanted to get done both ways. And, you know, whoever is is, is in our room, whoever's in the offensive room, we embrace them as though they're starters and going to play. And we love everybody that comes in here. And you know, we're always sad to see people leave. But that's that's something, you know, as, as a coach, a lot of the time, you know, you never, sometimes you don't know who's going to show up. So you just kind of uh, get ready to teach whoever whoever's there and get them ready for a game. You look at the the ground and pound style, and, and that one of the nuances that you know you've respected and Doug Marone's respected of having a, a big back back there to carry the load for you to obviously block and to have the ability to be a lot of different things in the offense. Just what you can say about when Leonard Fournette is is sitting there and you're in the draft room and you're waiting and you're looking and, and he's up there on the board, just getting a guy like him, getting him in the room and just what he's meant to an offense that, in my opinion, has needed a workhorse like him for a long time. Oh, I, you know, it's great. It's great to have him. I mean, he, he brings a whole new dynamic uh, on the field. And, you know, it, it's, a, you know, what he's done and, and how what, what he's done up to this point is a credit to him, uh, along with those other backs. I think, you know, something that's been great is, you know, even when Leonard went down, we had some other guys step up and do a great job. And, um, you know, we still were able to rush for a lot of yards. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things, anytime you can run the ball, you know, whoever that guy is back there, anytime you could run the ball, it helps an offense you know I mean I always remember the saying my father said was you score points by passing the ball you win the game by running the ball and I've always kind of tried to keep that in my mind and always know you know to win the game you know you wear guys down you you keep running the ball and then all of a sudden one pops and that's the thing that really you know gets defenses a lot of the times and then um, you still have the ability to get the ball down the field and that helps when you have a guy like Leonard back there because it opens up a whole world of the pass game because they want to stop the run and then it gives better matchups outside and they can't double guys. and So, I mean, there's just so many great things that happen when, when you can run the ball. If, if you put so much back there on a quarterback to throw the ball every play, you know, it's just hard. It's just hard because, you know, this league is built to rush the passer and, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that, that are good at getting to, to that quarterback. So, 
you know, it's one of those things. It, it allows a quarterback to take a breath. It allows everybody, the line, to be able to get physical and, and not have somebody rush rush after them. And uh, so it just gives you so many different things. And I think Leonard has just done a, such a great job, not only um, just being able to do what he's done, but the way he's doing it, you know, just with so much physicality. And I think that's just something we just got to keep it rolling. The story from the outside looking in, and you and I have discussed this before, is, you know, it's either all Blake Bortles' fault or he does some good things, he has a good day or he has a bad day. But so, you know, more often than not in the last couple of years, a lot has been put on his shoulders. Bringing in Leonard Fournette, instituting this offense that you and Doug Marone have worked on for a while. What can you say this has done for Blake? to give him more opportunity to showcase himself because last year he was the third highest in the entire country of 32 teams of complete of, of attempts of pass attempts and he was behind you know drew Brees and the usual suspects but he was forced to throw the ball so many times i think it was almost 700 pass attempts to 300 something rush attempts so it was it was well over double just what you can say about what that means for Blake this year to have Leonard Fournette and to have this offense because, as you and I have discussed, from the outside looking in, it's easy to blame Blake. But when he was asked to have, I think it was 633 or 635 <laughs> attempts passing, I, I, I think there's going to be some mistakes when a quarterback's asked to throw the ball 630 times. I mean, and you can look across the league. I mean, it, it's hard for young quarterbacks. I mean, all the guys that we talk about that throw the ball so many times, the first one that hit your mind was Drew Brees. Yeah. I imagine Aaron Rodgers and then Tom Brady and Philip Rivers and all those guys have been playing in the league for 10 years. Uh, and, and I think that's that there's so much that goes into being an experienced quarterback to be able to go back there and really sling it. And when you look at a young quarterback that's developing, there's so many things that go on in this league that a lot of people sometimes don't understand. Every week you, you present it with completely different challenges, completely different players that you have to attack. And at the same time, you're taking hits, and you, you want to throw the ball, but you don't know if that's the look. And there are just so many things that go into it. And, I, I mean, it, it, it's hard to develop quarterbacks nowadays when you put it all on them. And a lot of the times, the young quarterbacks tend to struggle. So I think that any time, I, I mean, I, I go back to, you know, just Ben Roethlisberger that first year. I mean, they were, you know, and Russell Wilson, you know, one of his first years. You know, he had Marshawn Lynch. You know, there was Jerome Bettis. We, when you have the ability to run the ball and not put it all on the quarterback's shoulders, it, it just takes that little bit of pressure that might be on him off of him so that he can slowly learn the game and adjust to the speed. And I think that, you know, when Blake got here, he was asked to do quite a bit. And, I mean, heck, when I got here, I think he'd already been sacked 55 times and he even played the whole season. And the next year he got sacked another 52 times. So I think any time that a quarterback takes numerous, numerous hits, you know, it's going to affect him. It's just like any any human being. And the, the credit to Blake is is that no matter how much he's had to take, no matter how many things people have put on him, he still comes to work every day. He loves it. He pushes himself. He does everything in his development this year because it hasn't all been on him, because he can learn and develop in a new system, his third system in four years. It's allowed him to grow. It's allowed him to really grasp it. And 
You know, when he goes, come on, you know, I want to throw, I want to throw. It's like, hold on now, hold on. Let's take a breath. Let's just keep learning and, and keep understanding, learn the run game. I mean, what he's done in the run game has been spectacular. I mean, all the checks that he's done and all the stuff that we put on him uh, just to get us in a good run play. And it just allows a, quarter, a quarterback like Blake to be able to learn and develop from, from that standpoint. So I think any time you can, you can help the quarterback by running the ball, and it goes for even a veteran guy. I mean, any time you, know, you have that ability – it's just so great, and it allows them not to have that pressure because the one thing we all know is that at that position, there's always a large, large amount of pressure. So anytime you can take anything off of him, um, it, it just makes it a little bit easier to grow and, and not be you know, criticized or booed, and even if it's not his fault. In the end, you know, everybody's going to look at the quarterback, and they're going to put it on him, and, and that's part of the job, and they all know that. Everybody knows that, but I think it's it just whenever you can do that, whenever you got a guy like Leonard back, there, or Chris Ivory, or TJ, or Corey, all those guys, and we can turn that ball and turn around and hand that ball off to one of those guys, and they can do something special, and then, you know, you get to breathe a little bit, okay, now it's my turn, and you get even hungrier, instead of going, oh gosh, what's <laughs> happening, oh, we got a new play, oh gosh, you know, there's just, there's just so many things, I mean, just from the protections, just trying to understand the protections, to then the pass concepts, then understanding defense, then understanding the coverages, then understand. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that quarterbacks have to go through, and you know, you you just want to make it so that they learn the right way. And I think that's that's what you know. Once again, going on his third system, I think that he's really embraced it, and I think that it's showing up and it's shown up a lot this this season. He's having a pretty good year, and, and he still has a long way to go, and he knows it. But uh, he's he's just going to get better. In this third system in four years, are you still trying to push the Star Wars themes on him? <laughs> yeah, every now and then. But then he gives me, he rolls those eyes at me. And I want him to like the plays. But, uh, but he, uh, yeah, he lets, he lets me do a little Star Wars here and there. What has he let you, what names has he allowed so far? Oh, yeah, I can't tell you our plays. I can't give you those names. I mean, golly, because we, we might use them. I don't want people to know what's happening. All I, all I ask is that you have a BB-8 play. That's all I want. <laughs> that might be coming up here at some point. Now, uh, you and I have discussed the importance of, of a quarterback's coach to stay with his quarterback and how from the outside looking in, uh, there's not a lot of attention on that. There's a lot of blame for the quarterback and where the quarterback is at, but not the conversation about, like you said, three three different systems in four years for him, but the difference is he has had you for the last three years. What can you say about Blake having continuity with you and if that has helped him to come along and to improve because despite the system change he bare minimum has had a familiar face in you and I know that you spend a lot of time and I know you go and talk with him after the games as well. Oh yeah we, we spend a lot of time together. I, you know I mean I, I like to think that, that I'm helping to a certain extent um, being around him a lot um, but but you know I think it's just one of those things you know when you're in such a high pressure pressure position as being a quarterback in the NFL it's such a privilege to be in that position that you want somebody that's going to be there that you trust and I think that being with him for, for two years uh, I think that really did help and even being able to call plays for him for a short period of time he got to see how I operate and I think that is definitely a comfort level uh, he knows how who I am he knows how I, how I how I work, how I present to the team, how I do different things. And, and I think that that's always a, some kind of a, a, a just a comfort 
feeling and, and you're not questioning what's going to happen or the brand new guy or how he's going to react when something bad happens or how that person might react when something good happens or how an adjustment's going to happen, you know, just from all those different pressure situations. So I think it's definitely helped him because he, you know, our conversations have just grown over time from just all the different aspects of football. And, and I think that's always good for a quarterback to have that. Is he better in your mind, does he have this trajectory moving upward that people still have not seen? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt. And uh, I mean, it, it's like it's like it's like I always say. You know, uh, no matter how hard you try, you know, there's going to be people that just aren't going to like you. Or there are going to be people that are always going to question you. And um, that's understandable. I mean, he, and, and I tell him, I mean, hey, you know, he has not been very successful here. And, you know, it has not all been his fault, but everybody's going to make it his fault. That's why he's a quarterback, and that's what quarterbacks get. And that's the great part about that position. So I think for him, it's just about, hey, just block out all the noise and just keep on doing what you do. Keep on making plays. Keep on running. Keep on getting out of the pocket. Keep on making plays. Keep on getting more confident and more confident. And that's what's so important for him. And as long as he can do that, you know, he's going to continually grow. And that's all you can ask. I mean, just to be in the three different systems, uh, just to be with so many different players, to even now being playing with so many young players, um, you know, it's just a great time for him to continually get better and, and give guys opportunities. And, and that's what he's doing. And that's all we can ask for. Nate, before I let you go, uh, there when Doug Marone had taken the job from interim to the official head coach, there was this conversation of who's going to be his offensive coordinator, and Chip Kelly comes up, and all these people want to prognosticate what's going to happen. Those of us people that covered you at Syracuse knew that it made more than enough sense that, that he would keep you on because you built this offense together. Just what you can say about you know maybe not being that household name and being that name that, that people anticipated or being written in a lot of stories, yet you are that guy that Doug Marone has dedicated a lot of these opportunities to. He was with you in Syracuse, he was with you in Buffalo, with you in Jacksonville. He's been more loyal to you, arguably, than any other coach he's worked with and just what that means to you. Oh, I'm, I'm, my relationship with Coach Marone is, is awesome. And, uh, you know, it's been one of those things. It's, it's a very professional one. And the best part about Coach Marone, he, he speaks his mind. He tells you the truth. And um, just to be able to have this opportunity again to be with him ha- has just been awesome. I mean, I, I love working for him, and I appreciate it. But I also know, I mean, if things go bad, who knows? You know, it is a profession. It is a business. And uh, But, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things, you know, Coach Marone, um, definitely had to, you know, go talk with other people, and I understand that. I mean, there might be somebody else that he wanted, and, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but in the end, he, he chose me, and I just want to do everything to try to prove to him that, that I'm, I'm pretty good at this stuff and going to find a way to get a couple wins. And, and that's that's just kind of the goal as, as a coach is you just want to find a way to win, and, and you want to do whatever it takes for the team, whatever's the best thing. Um, that can get done, and that, that's what we're we're accomplishing that here, and, and still have a lot more opportunities uh, left ahead of us. When you look at a team that is winning right now and doing some good things, and you know the the talent that's been brought in through multiple of the recent drafts to going and getting veteran talent as well, 
the writing's been on the wall, at least in my opinion, that Jacksonville has been building for a while. A while, but to see the success come at this time, the question comes: Who gets the credit for the success? Is it the players? Is it Doug? Is it Tom Coughlin coming back into the building because he leaves the Giants? You see where the Giants are. He comes to Jacksonville, and Jacksonville is back on the right side of things and well above 500. So when you're in this building all the time where do you attribute the success to i mean do you look to doug do you look to tom is is tom heavily involved and are you having those conversations just what you can say about you know all the different heads in the building so to speak and the fact that it it seems a little bit more than a coincidence that when tom comes back to this franchise this franchise starts to win again yeah, you, you know, one thing, you know, I've, I've grown up in this business my whole life. I've seen so many different things. Um, I've seen, you know, good coaches be on bad teams, bad coaches be on bad, bad, good teams, and all kinds of different stuff. And I've seen all kinds of different people be successful at one place and not successful at another place. And, um, you, you know, this game is so great because you, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to be dealt to you. Um, I think that in, case, in, in the case with the Jaguars, uh, I think that there's a great group of people here right now. I, I think across the board, I think you know everybody works very well together. I give you know credit to everybody. I, I give credit to you know Tom Coughlin, to Shad Khan, to uh, Doug Marone, to I, I mean everybody. I, I think that it's just right now the organization, you know, where we're at, we're, we're all just doing our job, and you know the players are buying in, and, and we're just you know working well together and i think that when you get a group that are all able to come together and fight for each other and and work well together and and believe in each other i think you're always going to have a chance i mean there's still so many factors that go into uh, a win or a loss every single week i mean there's so many different things it's one play here or there and a whole season can change and i think it's just about you know the people just keep on grinding no matter what happens don't get too high don't get too low and just keep working hard and you know if everybody kind of learns that way and and leans on each other and 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 tries to continually get better i think you're always going to have a chance two final questions the first one tom coughlin what has he taught you more than anything so far (laughs) um work hard work really hard um, and and always keep your mind open to new ideas. And then uh, and then the the final one with everything that's gone on with kneeling and standing and whatnot. This this team has found a way. And Shad Khan had put out uh, or, or what I thought was a remarkable email. I thought it was the right way to go about things. Where he said after the game in London against the Baltimore Ravens, he said we will kneel before the national anthem in solidarity against police brutality and to show that we are together as one, standing against that. Then we will stand together during the national anthem as one. We will do both things together. We will do them either all of us it was it was all or none we're going to kneel together before we're going to stand together during and from here on out we will do everything together just what those types of words mean to you and in in a very tumultuous tumultuous to say the least world that we live in today where it seems like one thing could be misconstrued very quickly just how you've seen shad khan handle everything and how you've seen the jaguars handle trying to stand up for things while still respecting things and staying together yeah you know i mean i think that was a 
That was a wild time, um, especially early on in the season. And I think that the, the thing that, you know, I'm, I'm proud of is that we're a team, you know, and, and I think that's the most important thing. And I, and Shad Khan has, has been wonderful and, you know, our, in just kind of how everything has happened. I mean, as a coach, you're so locked into the season and trying to win a football game each day in and day out. And then when you get hit with, you know, some monumental, um, things that are going on within, the world. I mean, sometimes you're so removed, <laughs> you don't even know what's happening at times. But, you know, I think that, uh, about us, it's just about being a team. That's what we want to be. And, and we want to respect everyone. And we want to, you know, we just want to always try to do what's right. And I think that's, that's always the most important thing and do what's right. And, um, you know, I, it, it's been great being here and, and working here with everybody and, and standing together and, and doing everything as a team. Now, coming from Nate Hackett of the Jacksonville Jaguars, from Syracuse, Buffalo to Jacksonville and everything before, thank you, Nate, for the work that you're doing. And, and above all things, thank you for doing it with a smile on your face and being a positive person because I think the world needs a whole lot more of that. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. This is a wake-up call fast break. The name Leeson Staggerwald is synonymous with Central New York with over 80 years of service to the community. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown is your butcher, grocery, pub, and deli located on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Minutes from the Carrier Dome in your perfect pre-gaming headquarters with Rob Drummond and myself, Dan Tortora, two hours before home games. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown, where you can dine in, take out, pre-game up on the hill with their meats or pre-game inside their walls. Lee's and Staggerwald downtown, a unique experience for every single fan and every member of the community with over eight decades of service. They're open Monday from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m., Tuesday through Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 8 p.m., Friday 10.30 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday noon to 9 p.m., and closed on Sunday on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Gear up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DreisigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. With Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory, find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. The Pennant Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Pennant Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding 
wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Pennant Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime. Unica Pizza Company spells family. Your family. My family. Their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens... They're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Happy to be here with you on the broadcast every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time right here on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Truly a pleasure, an honor, and a privilege to be a part of Wake Up Call with Dan Satora to be a part of your morning every single morning from Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 a.m. We are inside of the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. And I want to give a special thanks to all the guests that have been on that. I want to thank Cordell Hudson for being a part of the show today. I want to thank Nate Hackett as well. And now to round out today's show, before I get you set for Thursday, December 7th, it's time to look at the coaches and the changes, things that have happened already in college football, crazy things that have happened. The world is very small, and it's funny how the coaches that I miss find a way kind of back to me, me back to them, so to speak, and that happened with Florida State. Jimbo Fisher, I've covered for the last four years at least, And Willie Taggart I covered for about three years before Willie left South Florida to go to Oregon. So I had him for three, lost him for one, got him back. And he is now with Florida State. So it's just funny to me how he was at USF and then he left. So I was interviewing Willie Taggart on a weekly basis on the teleconferences. Then he left and went over to the Pac-12. And then Charlie Strong came down to South Florida who I, who I had spoken with when he was at Louisville. So I had Charlie, then Charlie moved out of the American, and then I had Willie, and then Willie moved out of the American, and now I have Charlie back in the American, and I have Willie in the ACC. So it's funny how the world works. It's it, I mean, if they tell you that the world of sports is a very tiny world and you don't believe them, you got to be insane. So it, it's it's absolutely crazy to think about how things go in the world of sports and it's it's pretty amazing it's pretty wild and I'm very I'm very excited about what's to come here so this is this is definitely going to be an interesting upcoming season I know that we still have the bowl season to go through but I am ecstatic about what's to come here uh, UCF brought in their new head coach which which I think is awesome they they wasted little to no time the great thing about what some of these teams do 
is, you know, in the case of these Florida teams like UCF and Florida State, they literally took like no time off the clock. You know what I mean? They made these decisions, they made them quickly, and they moved forward. And that to me is very, very, I mean, it's key. I mean, you expect Florida State to be quick. You expect them to have a list. You expect them to reach out to somebody and be able to grab somebody right away. But in the case of UCF, you know, they're not given the respect that they deserve. The committee showed that by taking the only undefeated team and not giving them a shot to be in the college football playoff. And we can have that argument all day and around the corner. But if you're undefeated, you should have a shot to play. And if you're that terrible, well, then prove it. And if you're good, then prove it. All I'm saying is the last time that people said that this team called UCF didn't belong in a big time bowl game, didn't belong against Baylor, didn't be- how could how dare they disrespect Baylor by giving them UCF in the Fiesta Bowl and UCF not only beat them, they spanked them. Okay, they spanked them so hard there was an imprint left there. And now they move forward, and here we are again in an even better situation. The team's 12-0, and and they just came off of an AAC championship, and they get no respect to get into the college football playoff. However, I think they're playing one of the best bowl games outside of the college football playoff, which is the game they're going to be playing against Auburn in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, which is awesome. It'll be at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium down in Atlanta, Georgia. Very excited about the, that name or that game coming up. So <laughs> the the funny thing, I want to go to UCF for a second, is that the new coach, his last name is H-E-U-P-E-L. And his name has been pronounced Hypel, Hypel, and Hypel. And it's funny how they're trying to figure out how to say it down in Florida. How do you say this name? You know, what is what is Josh's name? So it's it's definitely crazy to me to uh, I mean, it's it's just to me, it's it's funny. You know, people are having some fun with this stuff and all that. But he was announced and it was a beautiful thing. I'm very happy that he's found his way. So let me let me bring this in here. And it's Josh Heupel. And that's Danny White saying it. It's Josh Heupel. So Josh Heupel joining UCF and moving into their future. He was the Missouri offensive coordinator. The awesome thing about that is that he comes from the SEC into the AAC. And then this guy named Randy Shannon, who you might know from the University of Florida. I don't know, the Gators. I don't know if that's a team that people recall or recognize around the country. But, you know, this this little team called the Florida Gators had this defensive coordinator called Randy Shannon. And he's, you know, part of Josh Heupel's staff and was announced immediately after. So I'm very, very, very excited about uh, what's to come at UCF and what's to come at Florida State. Josh Heupel, I've never had the opportunity of of speaking with him before. He was an Oklahoma quarterback, and they defeated in the BCS championship game at the Orange Bowl back in 2001. His team defeated Florida State. So he is an Oklahoma quarterback who defeated Florida State, who is now the head coach of Central Florida, which is pretty darn cool. So excited about this opportunity. Very sad news when it came to Scott Frost leaving for Nebraska. Nobody's surprised because he played at Nebraska and, you know, he had that connection with Nebraska. That's that's something near and dear to his heart. 
you know, Marywood University is near and dear to my heart. So I would think that, you know, if you're in a situation to go back home and have an opportunity to do something special, why wouldn't you take it? And that's exactly what Scott Frost did. But to see UCF hire quickly, you know, faster than Florida State did, to see how quick they turn around this thing, this happened Saturday night at 6 p.m. It was announced that Scott Frost was leaving to go to Nebraska. That's when Danny White held the press conference, the athletics director of UCF, and I was on site for that press conference. I had stayed. I was working after the game, so I went back downstairs to the room where I'd just spoken with Scott Frost, and here's Danny White saying that he's gone. So, you know, that was Saturday night. Tuesday, right? So Saturday night into Tuesday. So you have Sunday, Monday, you have two days, not even a full three days because it wasn't Tuesday night that this happened. There's the announcement. So not even three days, not even 72 hours does it take them to find a new head coach. So big ups to UCF for it. I hope that Josh Heupel, that everything works out with that. I think Randy Shannon having two guys from the SEC, you know, that it looks good on paper is what I'm going to say. And I'm going to write a story about it this week. And then, you know, with Willie Taggart, I, Slick Willie, I, I love Willie Taggart. And I appreciate the fact that he's back in the state of Florida. And like I said, it is a crazy world that we live in. For me to give a couple thoughts on this, it's it's utter insanity that, <laughs> that Willie was at South Florida and I got to know him there. And then Willie goes to Oregon and then he's there for a year, maybe not even a full calendar, 12 months. And he's back in the state of Florida with Florida State. So I'm covering Willie Taggart and I'm doing it with two different teams in history, both in the state of Florida. So it's it's just pretty wild and it's pretty cool. And I'm happy that he's back. And, you know, I'm happy that Florida State gave him a chance because Willie Taggart, when I started covering him, like, let's say four years ago. When I started covering him back then, it was like, is Willie going to get fired or not? Is Willie going to keep his job or not? I want to go to his coaching history because I'll tell you exactly when my thoughts were, when when these you know thoughts were passing through my mind from the mentality. So let's go to Willie Taggart right now. So he was a head coach at Western Kentucky. He brought him from two and ten in his first season to seven and five and seven and five, and then South Florida they were two and ten. In 2013, when I started covering it, yep, they were two and ten there. That's right. And then four and eight in 2014, and then eight and five, and then ten and two. Okay, so he has a history of changing teams for the better. He has a history of taking the talent he has, recruiting other talent, and making a team better. Historically, look at what he has done. South Florida, two wins to four wins to eight wins to ten wins. In the four years he was with South Florida, he literally flipped them. From 2 and 10 to 10 and 2. And yeah, it helps to have Quentin Flowers, but still, you have to coach. You have to coach well. And they won the Birmingham Bowl. And they finished the season ranked number 19 in the AP. So, and then he went to Oregon, and Oregon went 7 and 5. And they were ranked 24th in the AP. So, in one season at Oregon, he had a winning record. He changed South Florida, he changed Western Kentucky. People are hoping that. He changes Florida State for the better. But the crazy thing about Florida State, and I'm going to get to the NFL in a second because I know I know Johnny's got a lot of words here. We're going to get to it. So 
Florida State fans, some fans, not all of you, some of you are some of you are not insane, okay? I'm going to hope that a very small portion of you do not think this way, but people want to get back to the winning side of things, right? Jimbo Fisher, please read my story. Please read my story and get educated if you think that Jimbo was a bad coach or you think that this year was atrocious. Please go back and read the story. It's on the right now page of wakeupcalldt.com. Just read it, okay? Just read it. While Kevin Sumlin was at Texas A&M, he trended down. From season to season, he got worse and worse and worse, was winning, was double-digit wins and single-digit wins and less wins, was winning bowl games then losing bowl games. As he literally trended from beginning to end downward at Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher outside of this past season, where he was with the team to be 5-6 and six before they went 6-6 six and six in a game that if he coached it or not, they were going to win. They were playing Louisiana Monroe. No disrespect to Louisiana Monroe. You know why you're on the schedule. It was so Florida State could get to a bowl game. So besides that, just, just hear me out. He was with Florida State for eight years. In six of eight years... Six of eight years, they had 10 winners, 10 wins or more. One of those years, they were 14-0 and won the national championship, the last BCS championship ever given out before the college football playoff was instituted. And in seven of eight years, they had winning records. Seven of eight years winning records, and in six of eight years, 10 wins or more, and they've had 36 straight years of going to a bowl game, and he was there with Bobby Bowden before that, and he was recruiting like hell before that, and look at the players that he's brought in I'm just going to go to it, okay? I'm just going to I'm going to read you a few. I'm just going to read you a few. I don't want to inundate you with too much information to make your head blow up, but for the people that thought that Jimbo Fisher was maybe an okay coach and he needed to get a little bit better, no. Jimbo Fisher was one of the greatest things that to ever happen to the state of Florida. You know who was jubilant? You know who was excited and out of their mind happy after Jimbo went to Texas A&M? Every single Gators fan in the world, okay? They were elated, very happy. Shall I tell you who he helped recruit and coach? Kelvin Benjamin, wide receiver of the Carolina Panthers. Delvin Cook, Minnesota Vikings running back. Ronald Darby, Devontae Freeman, Rashad Green Jr., Trey Jackson, Jalen Ramsey of the Jaguars, Talvin Smith, who I've interviewed of the Jaguars, Jameis Winston, all in the NFL right now. Okay? All in the NFL right now. As a recruiting coach, amazing. In 106 games, 83 wins. 5-2 and two in bowl games, including a national championship. The best winning percentage in the history of Florida State that went above his mentor, Bobby Bowden, with 78.3% of the time winning games. So to the fans that wanted Jimbo Fisher's head... You are nuts. You are crazy. But guess what? You got Willie Taggart. So things worked out. Willie's not bad. Okay? And if you want Willie to turn your program back for the better, I don't think you're going to be 6-6 next year. Okay? I think that this past season for Florida State was an enigma. I think it was strange. (laughs) Undeniably strange. You lose your starting quarterback in the game that I I was covering down in Atlanta at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Uh, Alabama-Florida State. Now, Florida Florida State's offense and defense and everything was playing terrible in this game. And then your quarterback, DeAndre Francois, goes down. And you lose him for the season. And that's really sad. 
okay? There were some issues with a team ranked third in the country. This is why rankings mean nothing at the beginning of the season. They were ranked third in the country, and obviously everybody saw that that wasn't accurate. They had a bad year, okay? In Florida State perspective, 6-6 six and six is a bad year. In Syracuse perspective, it's a year where you literally kiss every step on the way up to the Dome if you go 6-6. Six and six. But for Florida State, it's a different world, okay? Now, I hope Syracuse gets to that world where 7-5 and five isn't good enough. But right now, they're not there. 6-6 six and six is not good enough for Florida State fans. But I caution people because remember when Florida State got a little bit testy at home and Jimbo Fisher said, knock it off? It does not matter how long a coach coaches somewhere. If you disrespect him, you disrespect his players, especially at home. If the hometown crowd, if Tallahassee doesn't respect him and his players, he will leave. And look at what he did, okay? Look at what he did. He left. He left. Understand that. And I'm not saying it's all on the fans, but darn it. When fans are booing a coach who 99%, or I should say 78.3% of the time is winning, 5-2 and two in bowl games, every single year people have expectations of them making it to the college football playoff or a New Year's Day bowl, why complain? Why you know what and moan? Why? But you have Willie Taggart now. Willie's back. Selfishly, I'm happy because I get to speak with him now. Again. Consistently. And I'm excited. Another thing I'm excited about, guess who did not leave Memphis? That's right. Mike Norvell. Everybody was Arkansas, 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 Arkansas. He's going to go to Arkansas. Oh my God, he's going to Arkansas. He's going to leave and go to Arkansas. No. He put up a post signing his contract and it said, so excited about the future of Memphis Tiger football. And to announce that I have signed an extension to continue to lead this great program. Thank you, University of Memphis President Tom Bowen and Board of Trustees for allowing me the opportunity. Stripe them up, Tiger fam. Climb and grateful. That's what he had to say. How about that? Mike Norvell is 18-7 and seven with Memphis in two seasons. He just brought them to their first ever AAC championship game in the history of the AAC championship, which is young. It's only three years old, but the first time ever. He won the West Division with Memphis for the first time ever. Under Justin Fuente, as good as Justin Fuente was, look at what Mike Norvell is doing. They're both good coaches. I love them both. I think they both work hard as hell, and I think they deserve a lot of respect. I respect Mike Norvell for sticking around. 18-7 and seven so far. And that's including 10-2 and two this year. Okay, he's 10-2 and two this year. He was 8-5 last year. Went to a bowl game in his first year at Memphis. This year, he's going to a bowl game again. He's 10-2. and two. The only two losses were to one team, UCF. And it took double overtime for UCF to beat Memphis. This man has put together an offense that has defeated UCLA. And people can say whatever they want. When Memphis defeated UCLA at the beginning of the season, people pooped their pants, okay? At the end of the season, they're like, well, UCLA isn't that good. They had a bad year, so Memphis sucks. And it's, it's crazy how UCLA was ranked in the top 25. They get spanked, right? They get spanked by Memphis. Memphis beat you. Oh my goodness. What? 
Memphis won. And Memphis got respect for it for like two weeks. And everyone was like, well, UCLA, they kind of sucked this year. Well, you know, they're not really that great of a team, Bob. They're sucks and sucks. Whose fault is that? Memphis still beat you. Memphis beat Navy. Memphis beat UCLA. Okay? These were, this team, they played good. They played at Houston and beat Houston. They, they trounced SMU with Chad Morris. And they're playing very well in Chad's third year there. They beat him by 21 points. They scored 66 on him. They scored 66 points, 70 points, 56 points, 41, 42, 44, 48. You want to know their worst offensive performance? They scored 70 twice, by the way. Their worst offense, their their worst point performance of the year was their loss to UCF. They scored 13. Worst in a victory was 30. Okay? And he's sticking around, and I love it. Mike Norvell, whose name was attached to Florida and Ole Miss and Arkansas, he's staying. Shout out to you, Mike. Shout out. I can't wait to talk to you with the American Athletic Conference for year number three. Congratulations. Thank you for staying. Because this move, this move, this could be the turning point for the American Athletic. Because the expectation every single year is coaches get poached because they're good. And the Power Five is always looking at the American as kind of like their farm team, their farm system. Let me watch this coach for two or three years and he'll steal them from you. And Mike said, I'm staying. Scott left, but it was a tough decision. And I think if it was anything other than Nebraska, he probably would have stayed. Mike Norvell decided to stay in Memphis instead of going to the SEC. Okay? That's huge. That's huge for the American. If he legitimately, now this is all alleged stuff and hearsay and yada, 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 but if he legitimately said to Arkansas, no thank you. If he legitimately said to Florida, no thank you. If he legitimately said to Ole Miss, no, I'm not doing this. Think about that. Not one, not two, but three, and staying in the American. He could be the turning point of the American. It could be more coaches staying in the future to say, you know what? I respect what Mike did. Let's build this damn thing. I respect that Mike stuck around and I'm going to follow suit here and we're going to build this. If Mike stayed, maybe I should stay. And maybe it'll change the psyche of the American Athletic Conference. And maybe it'll change how the committee and the powers that be that make decisions on who goes to what, maybe that'll change. We can only hope. Johnny, I'm getting to you right now here. we got a couple minutes left in the show. I know that this man is very upset. He said, I'm furious if things don't change in Detroit, speaking on the Lions. No worse than us after having the division lined up for us. Uh, and then Ectocore said, life is tough for football fans this year. Johnny said, it's going to be like a bad breakup. Ectocores, who is a Giants fan, said, join the club. And then Johnny said, these eyes are crying. He said, the question that will remain is, will Bob Quinn have the, sto- have the stones to pull the trigger and say enough is enough and point this team in the right direction because surely ownership doesn't? And then he went on to say, we passed on Dalvin Cook. Look at the players that the Lions have passed on. We run Hall of Famers out of the league when I made mention of Calvin Johnson. He said, I want Jim Caldwell to play quarterback this week. And I want Taylor Decker to let the end go around and blindside hit Caldwell. I'd rather have Bobby Ross back. So the Jim Caldwell, I mean, you know, Jim Caldwell's, he's not a fan right now. 
or I shouldn't say people are not a fan. <laughs> I should say people are not a fan of Jim Caldwell. That's what I meant to say. He is in a position right now where they're not winning. And there's not good enough reason for it, right? This is a down year for the Green Bay Packers because they lost Aaron Rodgers. If you're ever going to, it's like Syracuse with Florida State this year and with the way that Louisville's defense is playing, you're supposed to win this year because they're not going to spot you that twice. Now, Detroit is, is second place in the NFC North. They're not completely out of this thing, but they're tied at 6-6 six and six with the Green Bay Packers who don't have Aaron Rodgers. Minnesota is awesome. Okay, let's face it. They don't have Dalvin Cook. They don't have Sam Bradford. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Minnesota's good. Okay? And and chalk that up to coaching. They're getting more out of Case Keenum there than anybody did. He looked good in Houston at times, but damn it. 10-2? and two? Keep your hands on 10-2 and two because you're in the driver's seat right now, Minnesota. Detroit... They lost to the Ravens 44 to 20. 44 to 20. And in this game, had nine players on the field on a third down play. Nine. For those playing the home game, there's supposed to be 11. And other broadcasters have spoken about this. Nine players on the field. Nine. Nine players on the field. Is that not coaching, right? What do you blame a coach for? If there's too many men on the field, if there's not enough people on the field, if you call timeouts at the wrong time, those are the things that you look at the coach and say, what in the the Sam hell are you doing, sir? The Lions defense allowed two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and a field goal, and Matty Stafford threw an interception at the end of the game. The Giants did not score in the entire first half. They were down 20 to nothing. 20 to nothing. Johnny just said not 10, 9. Nine players on the field. Nine players on the field. Okay? Do the math. Nine players on the field. Nine. I feel like I'm in Nazi Germany saying nine as many times as I had, so I apologize. This Detroit Lions team is just, it baffles me. You have Matt Stafford, okay? You have no running back because, again, Amir Abdullah is not healthy. Again. Again. He's not healthy. He has never been healthy. And I said this year was the last year that Amir Abdullah had to prove himself. And he did some good things. And maybe they'll keep him as the secondary back. But God bless him. I hope he gets better. I hope he gets healthy. And it's I hope it's not something that nags him forever. Okay? Because we are human here on this show. With that being said, Amir Abdullah, he doesn't stay healthy. He doesn't ever stay healthy for a full season. Ever, ever, ever. He's not the back you thought he was three years ago. Marvin Jones Jr. and Golden Tate deserve better. So does Kenny Galladay. They all deserve better. They have Matt Stafford. They should be winning games. Who's protecting Matt Stafford? Where is the rushing attack? There is, I know, Teon Green and Theo Riddick, they both had touchdowns, whatever, but in this past game. But the thing is, you have Marvin Jones Jr., This man has shown his consistency. 
You have Golden Tate. This man is better this year than he has been in a very long time. You have Kenny Galladay, who outside of being hurt, should have been one of the rookie phenoms, one of the rookie sleepers that potentially went into the playoffs and shocked some people and made it fun against some big-time games. But that's not happening. Detroit's not winning. Detroit is not finishing. They have talent. They beat the Cardinals. Big whoopee. They beat the Giants. Who cares? They lost to the Falcons because of the officiating. That sucked. But you can't just blame the officials because you can't you can't just rely on one play. And you can't rely on the officials to win. Where is the team that defeated the Vikings in Minnesota 14-7? In Minnesota 14-7. In Minnesota. They allowed 52 points to the Saints. I know the Saints are good, but holy balls. They lose to the Packers against Brent Hundley. Oh, pardon me. They beat the Packers. My fault. My fault. My bad. I'm getting emotional over here. <laughs> I'm not a Detroit fan, but I'm getting emotional. Pardon me. They didn't lose to the Packers. They defeated the Packers. My bad. That's my fault. They beat the Browns. Big who? Browns are 0-12. They defeated the Bears by three points. The Bears! Who are 3-9? and nine? The friggin' Bears! <laughs> the Bears were a field goal away of forcing overtime. They played well against the Vikings, but couldn't keep up. And they got spanked by the Ravens. You got the Bucks, the Bears, the Bengals, the Packers. Let's say... Now, on paper, you're supposed to win all these games. It's not going to happen, but you're supposed to. Okay, if you do, you're 10-6. and six. That's really good. Probably not going to happen. Look at where Detroit lies right now in the playoff standings. Let's just, for fun, for those playing the home game, let's just look. Detroit is in eighth place. Ahead of them is Atlanta, who defeated them. Ahead of that is Carolina, okay? They win the tiebreaker over Green Bay. If Detroit loses this week, they will get jumped by the Packers, the Cowboys. They'll get jumped. Potentially. Minnesota's in first place. Philadelphia's in second. Okay. There's no You're not touching up there. That's not happening. Okay. It's like being on the second date with a girl. She says you're not touching up here. You're not touching up there. Okay. Have some respect. She's a lady. Have some respect for the conference. You're not touching up there where Minnesota and Philadelphia are. It's not gonna happen. It's not going to happen. Seattle's gotten better. Carolina's gotten better. New Orleans is good. The Rams are good. Philadelphia is almost perfect, and Minnesota is damn near amazing. There's no place for Detroit this year. How do you have nine people on the field? Nine. It's an 11-man game. Okay. Nine. You're six and six. I want to look up Jim Colt just for fun. Let me just do this. Let's do this really quick. I've gone over, but I'm just going to do this really quick here. I want to look at the record for Jim Caldwell just for fun. Now he was with the Colts. He went 14 and two, 10 and six and two and 14. He trended downward. Did he not? Did he not trend downward? He did. 
with Indianapolis. He inherited a good team, went 14 and 2. Then he went 10 and 6, and then 2 and 14. In 2014, he took over the Lions. They were 11 and 5. Then they were 7 and 9, 9 and 7, 6 and 6. He's trended downward here, too. Yes, he went up between 15, 16, and 16, 17, but from 7 to 9 to 9 and 7. This team, what are they? I mean, seriously. Look at what he's done. Indianapolis, good, not so good, bad. Detroit, good, not so good, a little bit better, middle of the road. It's not, it's just, it's not, it's not working. It's not working. It's not. And this is where we are. I have nothing against Jim Caldwell. I'm just stating an obvious fact. You have Matt Stafford and you have three wide receivers to lean on. So shore up your defense and get yourself a big burly damn back who wants to go to work on Sundays and Thursdays and Mondays and then Tuesday and Wednesday and Saturday and every friggin' day in between and Friday too. Get yourself a back who is ready to play the damn game. They haven't had a running back in three years. Three There's got to be a change. How do you have nine? I can't. I can't. I really can't. I can't stomach it. How do you have nine players? Nine. I'm going to throw up. And Eric Ebron, Johnny just brought that up. Why do you not trade Eric Ebron? That's a very good statement because Eric Ebron has been such a phenomenal tight end for the team for so long. They passed on LeGarrette Blunt. Yes. They passed on Delvin Cook. Yes. Barry Sanders ran out of town. Calvin Johnson retired early. They both retired early. Two of the best players ever. I don't get it, folks. I don't get it. There needs to be changes in Detroit. I will be back with you tomorrow morning, Thursday, December 7th, bright and early at 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. We've got so much coming up for you tomorrow. I'm so excited. We're going to talk with the head of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl about that Auburn and UCF matchup and so much more. We're going to have Papa Joe's picks. We're going to discuss all the coaching changes, the college football playoff, expansion or non-expansion, bowl games, respect. Is it earned? Has it not been earned? Heisman Trophy. Me and Papa Joe are going ham on college football tomorrow. And, of course, through the Looking Glass, proudly brought to you by Looking Glass Events, is going to be on the broadcast tomorrow. So much to talk about, so much to get into And Johnny's like, you're going to leave me like that? I'm all jacked up right now. Yeah, man. Listen, that's why there's a show tomorrow. God bless you all. Talk to you soon. I'm making an announcement right now on the CNY Pop Festival on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So, like the page, at WakeUpCallDT on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter, at CallDT, and on Instagram, at WakeUpCall underscore DT. Muddy Waters, Thursday, December 7th. Come out and play Family Feud and Pictionary like they had a baby. The game is fun. You can do it while you're eating dinner. It doesn't take up much of your time. It's very exciting. Grab a drink, get some awesome Southern cooking, and have some fun with us at Muddy Waters this Thursday, December 7th at 7 p.m. and every single Thursday. God bless. I'll talk to you soon.